future is Mecca. In the previous episode, the Megastar League was planning a huge multi sim competition over the break. That big baby is faster than it looks. But you don't like Davor. Is he your nemesis? The tracker was gone. I spent the day playing Chainball, the king of mecha sports. But you saw it in your final. The other players, they're paid to work together until they took you out. I had the weirdest dream. My hands were the mecha hands outside the cockpit. I didn't have lungs, I was suffocating. There were two dark figures on the oxylon in front of the baby. As I moved to the window, I heard a thump and what sounded like a groan. I opened the curtains a crack. There were two dark figures on the oxylon in front of the baby. One was laying on the ground. The other was squatted over them, back to the window, doing something to their waist. Abruptly, the figure stood, looked up into the sky and raised their arm. They kept that arm straight up, and somehow both figures began to rise into the air. The one on the ground dangled from the waist. That upright arm must be holding a cable of some kind, thin and black and invisible in the night. There must be a drone on the other end of it, but I couldn't see it or hear it. The figures slowly turned as they rose, and I saw the face of the one standing. Except it wasn't a face. It was a cluster of lenses. Sharp lines of red light blinded me. I had just been scanned. My face, my retinas, had been recorded. My vision cleared almost instantly, but they were gone. I stuck my head out the window and looked up. There was no sign of them. Were they another dream? Was tonight all nightmares and sleepwalking? Even the sounds of servos? The baby was right where I standed it. I went back to bed, but had to play lots of levels of Bucket of Kittens before I could sleep. My mind had blown, it was racing, and getting all the pieces back together and calmed down took a while. The buzzing of my mini-tab woke me up. Again. It said it was 8.14 and I had a private call request from Aurora Bora. Hey, Feng said you wanted to talk. He gave me your ID. My head was still fuzzy with sleep. I rubbed my eyes and tried to think about what I wanted to say. She beat me to it. If it's about the final, we were paid. All three of us. Why? was the first thing I could think of asking. The money? Those points you won? Even with the best deal to cash them out, we still made more than you. You know it's not illegal, yeah? But... Revision 24 rigs are coming out, and I need the edge. They won't be cheap. I'm on a revision 15. I don't think, but your pracs are 20 to 30. I was never going to beat you no matter what rig I was simming in. I wasn't going to get the points, so I went for the money. Besides, you wrecked us. You won. It doesn't really matter. I wrecked two of you. But who paid you, and why? Just a guy. We spoke to him once. E-group called us all right before the match. How did he get your IDs? I don't know. I figure he was a gambler. or worked for a syndicate. What they paid us was probably a fraction of what they were betting. Gamblers? Really? But our match was just a Friday series. It wasn't major. I know, right? Imagine what's happening in the pay-to-play series. 
How much money must be riding on them? For those matches, that's definitely illegal. Between being hungry and the thought of that kind of cheating being everywhere in The Sims made me sick in the stomach. So who paid you? I can't tell you that, Neef. It's a private business relationship. That was not the answer I wanted. Someone tried to sabotage my win. They might do it again. Maybe during the series over the break. She showed her motivation. Greed. I was sure I could use it to my advantage. How about for points? You can cash them out. It's a step closer to that revision 24. She was silent. How many points? Do you have their ID? Yeah. A thousand. Deal. The ID is Ruppel at Deep Shield. Thanks. You know, people like you are what's wrong with the Sims, I said. Ended the call and blocked her on everything. I was pulsing with anger. Simming is supposed to be about who is the better pilot, not who has the most money or the sneakiest arrangements. When I became a professional simmer, I wasn't going to take any deals. I was going to win by being better than the other pilots. I didn't care how many ganged up against me. I would take them all out, one by one. Dad groaned from his room. I listened to him get up and trudge downstairs, heading for the carton of coffee in the fridge. There was no way I could tell him about Aurora Bore. He already thought that professional simming was thick with cheating in arrangements like this. It would give him an excuse to stop me competing. Yeah, he was right that it was bad. But like Aurora Bore said, I still won. I'd get worried when I stopped winning. How'd you sleep? Dad said when I entered the kitchen. I started telling him about my weird mecha dream and suddenly remembered the lens heads. I cut my dream recital short. Anyhow, boring, really. Say, Dad, do you think lens heads are real? I said, trying to sound like I didn't really care. I grabbed the milk and made myself busy with basic flicks so I looked even less interested. Well, the face stuff, the vision systems, the scanners, that's definitely real equipment. Or something like it really exists. They're a bit extreme in the Viries. But there aren't lens heads running around kidnapping kids for experiments, or prowling around houses at night scanning us while we sleep, or hijacking mechas or cloning pets. That's all Viri nonsense. A kid at 548 thinks they're real. Is it Davor? No, it's not Davor. Well, the kid needs to stop watching Viries. I don't think he watches Viri's. Talking about Davor, how do you feel about hanging out with him tomorrow? No way. Well, Minky and I are going to the roadhouse tomorrow. You can go over to their house or... Or I can stay home. There was no way I was going to spend Sunday with Davor. I'd rather spend the day trying out for Mechross. And what was Dad doing taking Minky to the roadhouse? She's probably never even been on a motorbike. She's not going to appreciate the place. I bet she'll stop Dad from whipping around the corners. She won't know how to lean. I'd feel better if you weren't alone all day. Then I'll go visit Azalea or Coda, or just Sim, like I always do. 
Dad made me help him in the garden. He'd really cleaned it up. That didn't save me from carting armfuls of weeds to the composter. Or actually weeding. I had to dig in the basic dirt to rip out the deep roots of thousands and thousands of dandelions. When Dad finally set me free, I went to my room to grab my screen and search for the ID Aurorabora gave me. There was no info for the ID. And there was nothing for the business name either. I wished I had Anu's skills. Or even an ID I could use to message Anu. Searching for Anu didn't return any results either. And I searched the whole net, as well as my social network. Everyone knew Anu, but no one had an ID linked to him. That's C.O. Sneaky. That night I found it hard to sleep. I kept getting up and sneaking to the window to peer out at the baby. No lens heads showed up. I got to watch a few drop shipments flaring on their descent through the night sky. If we lived near the coast, like in Vancouver or Seattle too, I could watch shuttles taking off from the launch pads floating offshore. Would that feel different? Watching people disappear into the sky on the way to space, instead of watching mechas and equipment drop out of the sky from space? Koda's been to the moon lots of times. He said the trip was pretty boring, but the low gravity on the moon was fun. It made return to Earth feel like you were being dragged into the ground. When I started to fall asleep with my chin on the windowsill, I slumped back to bed. If the lens heads wanted to kidnap me, they could go right ahead and kidnap as long as they didn't wake me up from kid sleep. Dad was running around like a malfunctioning backbot. Up the stairs, down the stairs, out to the storage bay, into his room, polishing his bike, checking charges, arranging the two safety collars on the seat, first together, then hanging his off the handlebar, then both on the seat. I was rolling my eyes from the front door, watching him fret when Minky's Metromech stomped in front of our house. Hi, called Dad as soon as her canopy lifted. She waved at him. She waved at me. You'd think she was in line for a trophy. She climbed down her silver mecca wearing a silver outfit, of course. Nice riding suit, said Dad, and she actually kissed him on the cheek. It's Kevlar and graphene, she said, holding out her arms. And see these bands? Non-Newtonian armor. If we come off... They'll absorb any impact up to 15 Gs. We're not gonna come off, said Dad. And if we did, I don't think 15 Gs would be enough. She laughed and slapped his arm. He just made a joke about them not surviving a bike crash, and she thought it was funny? I guess I know why Davor likes black so much. Hey, Prax, she called to me. You're totally welcome to go to our place and hang out with Davor. He's not doing much today. Nah, I said. Nah, thanks, you mean, said Dad. Gah. Nah, thanks, I said. I'm going to hang with friends. Dad tried to help her on with her safety collar, but she took it from his hands and put it on and adjusted it herself. Maybe she had been on a bike before. Then he came over to me for a hug goodbye. A hug, I said? Are you planning on crashing? I'm too careful for that. I've added Azza, Azalea, Azalea, to your Travnav. I tried to add Coda, but it already expired. It's new every day. 
That's smart. We'll be back before dinner. I'll message you if anything comes up. He walked back to his bike, wrapping the safety collar around his neck. He put his leg over the bike and Minky climbed on behind him. It was kind of weird watching her glom onto him like she wanted to be a human backpack. Oh yeah, I made a transfer to your mini-tab, in case you want to hit a mech cafe or something. I gave him a thumbs up. He gave me the L and twisted the accelerator. See ya, Prax, said Minky. Her big smile was even bigger, like there was nothing left to stop the top of her head from falling off. They were barely out of the drive when Dad boosted it, sending gravel and drone fragments flying, making Minky squeal and laugh. She was squeezing him even tighter when they disappeared behind the sink trees that marked the edge of our yard. Back inside and eating basic chalk spread from the jar with a spoon because, hey, who was going to stop me? I wondered if I should mention to Dad that the baby was open class and he didn't have to unlock or set up anything for me. I could get to Azalea's without his help. I could get to Coda's too. I didn't even need to know the pad ID. The pad is right outside their compound. It's a private pad, and Coda says they change the ID every day for security reasons, sometimes more often. I messaged Azalea to see what she wanted to do, but she was already in the city with her family, shopping and looking for a pilot seat for Vivi. Coda said his dad was making him sit in boring meetings with him. He thinks I can learn stuff just by sitting there, without my screen or mini-tab. So extra basic and dull. It looked like I was on my own. I had money. Thanks, Dad. I had a mecha that could go anywhere. I lived in Glurk's top-tier city, where the latest and greatest Glurk tech and products came first, where the Glurk Earth management tower stood right in the middle of it all. The possibilities for entertainment and excitement were better here than any other Glurk standard city assembly. On Earth, at least. Today, I would go out, and I would go forth and get some lunch. There's a mech cafe all the simmers go to. It's called Lobby 11. Supposedly, it's a pretty crazy place. I've seen shares of it. It's so much cooler than the roadhouse. It's whiter than white inside, and it doesn't have a single corner or edge anywhere. It's all rounded and soft like the inside of a cloud. You can just lounge in big soft chairs, like a pilot seat made of marshmallow, while drones bring you food and drinks. The place is a long way clockwise from here, almost on the other side of the city, in the shadows. It's actually in the industrial ring. I don't know why, but from its side it looked like there's plenty of room to stand mechas, and the white exterior of the building stood out among the robo-factories and warehouses. Good morning, Pilot Praxit. Good morning, baby. We're going to Lobby 11 to drink bubble tea and eat some real food. The walk to the transit pad was so smooth, I had to comment. Nice walking, baby. Calibrating. Yes, you are, and doing a very good job of it. Finally. The voice interface must be even smarter than I thought. Baby didn't relay any Travnav messages. We just stepped onto the pad and jetted into the air. We slotted into the transit lane between the other mechas and zipped around. I did turn down switching to open flight. I wasn't sure I could navigate directly to Lobby 11 by sight from so high up. Plus, there were so many mechas flying around out here because it was the weekend, and I didn't want to draw attention to me and the baby.
We passed into the shadow of the city towers and dropped down onto a transit pad on a wide and empty industrial ring street. My mini-tab directed me to walk further out and into an alley on the right to find the place. At the end of the alley was a lumpy building front with Lobby 11 in big letters. But instead of a fluffy white cloud, it looked more like a storm cloud, and the writing was an acid blue, like a lightning bolt. Standing at the front were a couple of sturdy mechs and basic mechs. The way they were painted, it looked like they were in two squads of some kind. The basic mechs were 10 meter models, so it wasn't kids who piloted them here. Simmers were all ages. A few globies were even in their 40s. The most were in their teens and 20s. I was expecting more mechas, but it was early. Barely mid-morning. I stand at the baby pretty far from the doors, in front of a tall grey wall covered ground to roof and drone graft corners slapping themselves and each other. Maybe no one would pay it too much attention over here. Stand by, I said. Standing by? You do that. And don't let any lens heads spot you. Calibrating. I was walking past the other mechas before I realized they had cockpit protectors on and clouts sticking up from behind their shoulders. Poppers. Two groups of poppers. Maybe they're meeting for a friendly beverage before knocking each other's cockpits off. The paint jobs were intense. The sturdy mechs had jagged red and black striping, like lightning across them. The basic mechs, well, they're covered with geometric skull designs, white on black. When I walked in the mech cafe, it was like walking into a midnight storm. The soft white fluffiness was gone. Everything was black with red lighting, and there wasn't much light. Red point lights were embedded in the floor so you could see where to walk, and tables were barely lit by weak red downlights. There were brighter red lights behind the counter where the staff in black t-shirts with reflective 11s on them were busy making tea. The blue glare of screen lights caught my eye. Some of the poppers were seated at a table in a far back corner. I guess they're going through the shares or trash talking other poppers. They spend a lot of time doing that. Music was blasting through the place. It was rhythmic and rumbling. It sounded like giant guitars being played by angry mechas. It probably was. A guy behind the counter was saying something to me. I leaned over the counter so I could hear him. Sit wherever you like, he shouted. He had tall black hair and sideburns that reached down to his jaw and then folded it towards his chin. Order on your tab. We'll bring it over. I nodded and wandered around in the near dark, looking for a small table away from the entrance. Following the floor lights past the counter, I discovered the other group of paupers. They're on their screens too. They ignored me as I went past and into the furthest corner where there was a small table with two padded seats. They were a little scratched and the white of the old Lobby 11 decor was showing through. Before I ordered, I checked my account. Wow. Dad had never transferred that much money before. Things must really be getting better. His job was turning things around for us. I could really splurge. I went for a bubble tea with pearls and two kinds of jelly. To have with it, a dense double layer brownie. I put the order through on my mini-tab. While I waited, I looked through the shares. Coda and Azalea hadn't posted anything. I guess Coda couldn't. I swiped over to the sim streams. There was a tower battle match going. 
I'd forgotten my audio buds, and there was no way I was going to hear it over the music, so I just watched it without sound. It wasn't a bad match. More building than fighting. As the clock ran down, everyone started sending crane drones draped in chains and cables and spinning like crazy at each other. I wonder where they got that idea from. When the bubble tea and the first bites of the brownie reached my stomach, I was feeling pretty good. The darkness and the overpowering music had me all wrapped up in a noisy little cocoon where I could watch Sims, chew on the pearls and the tea and nibble brownie. I was feeling so good, I even opened my repeater app and ran through some prompts. If I could test out again before the quarter break, with a high mark, I'd be looking good. And I'd be a third of the way to Azalea's table. It was a pretty good topic at the moment. A history of antagonists and villains in dynamic media. It covered greed-age billionaires, meltdown black marketeers and warlords, and so on. It was interesting, until it hit me with a picture of a lens head from the Glurk Resistance era. And the question? Popularly known as lens heads, these high-tech characters were based on actual military personnel. True or false? The answer? Listen to this. False. Lensheads first appeared in the low-budget streamy The Paris Extinction. Director Fox Babatunde said in an interview that she came up with the lensheads because she couldn't afford the rendering costs for realistic human faces in all scenes. Right. That was over a hundred years ago. Either that answer was a lie, or someone liked Fox's idea so much they went out and created their own lensheads. I wanted to find whoever wrote this learning piece, shake them, and shout at them, Lens heads are real! Not that I can run around screaming that. I'll end up confined. I got chills just thinking about how they'd risen silently into the sky. That flash of red as they scanned me. What were they doing with that scan? Tracking me? That made me look up. The place had filled while I was watching Sims and going through my repeater. Of course I didn't hear anyone come in. A mecha could have come in. Through the ceiling, and I wouldn't have heard it. The crowd was mostly kids, and most of them looked older than me. I never saw so many people wearing black in one place. Either a lot of parents let their kids set their own Travnav destinations, or, like me, they didn't realize Lobby 11 hadn't updated their online portal since they went dark, grim, and spooky. You would think parents would be smart enough to search the shares before letting their kids go anywhere. A message from Azalea arrived. It was a picture of her and Vivi in front of the spiral fountain in the Sky Plaza. They had their tongues out. This is what we're doing. What are you doing? Bubble tea in Lobby 11, I replied. That's a pauper place, she messaged back. I thought it was a sim place. It's been paupers for weeks. I noticed. Don't get popped. The baby can take them, I think, I replied. I mean you. Actually, you don't get popped. I'll try real hard. I can't believe your dad let you go there. He didn't. Open class, I replied. She replied with a smiley with his tongue sticking out. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get popped. Isn't the whole point of poppers to wreck mechas, not people? I never heard of poppers getting out of their mechas and hitting each other. But Davor is hanging out to punch me. Maybe it is a thing. But not the kind of thing that would happen in a mech cafe. 
I hoped. Speaking of Davor, guess whose face suddenly glowed in the reflection of a screen at a table across the way? Nobu. Next to him, Klaus. I CO'd and CO2'd under my breath. I could have screamed it. There was a third person sitting with them. I could just see their left arm and shoulder and the occasional side of a face with black hair. I still knew it was Davor. So much for him staying home today. I wonder if Minky knew where he was. I tried to ignore them, but it was hard. I went back to streaming Sims and kept my head down so if Nobu glanced over, he wouldn't recognize me. I would have left right away, except their table was on the way out, and I've had to walk straight towards them, past the counter, giving them plenty of time to spot me. I was wearing a red shirt and blue pilot pants, and here a flashing light on my head would draw less attention. Once I'd nibbled through the brownie and ate all the crumbs and chewed every strip of lychee jelly in my tea, I just wanted to get out of there. I risked a glance up. There was a bunch of guys in front of Davor's table and they were leaning over it and fingers were being pointed and from what I could see of Nobu's and Klaus's faces, they appeared to be yelling at them. The guys were all tall and skinny and had long, long black hair that was dead straight and hanging down their backs, held together by gold bands. It was like looking at clones from where I was. The group straightened up and marched out, one of them gesturing back at the table for Davor and his friends to follow. Davor was already on his feet. Klaus was fiddling with his mini-tab, paying the bill, I guess. There was probably some popping about to go down. It gave me a chance to sneak away. I paid my bill. I still had loads of money left. Maybe I should order new grips for the rig. I swiped through a bunch of grips, checking out prices, just to give them time to climb into their mechas and start to stomp away before I left. Walking outside was blinding. The city shadow had moved up the alley, and the pale grey industrial walls were bouncing the sunlight like mirrors. It almost made my eyes water as I squinted my way past all the standing mechas. At the opening of the alley, a pack of mechas were just vanishing around the corner. The baby was nowhere to be seen. I nearly screamed. I could have puked brownie and bubble tea. I ran to the drone graph corners where I'd left the baby, looking up and down the alley like I might have forgotten where I standed it, down at the ground like there might be clues. I even looked straight up in case, why, in case it was up in the sky? Like it was being carried away by an ultra-heavy drone? Looking up and half running down the alley, I was hit so hard in the chest I fell backwards as the corners and the grey wall melted into ugly, greeny-brown curves. What in the 79 moons of basic Jupiter? The baby appeared out of nowhere, like a CO special effect in a Viri. I looked around as I got to my feet. There's no one around to see what just happened. It was a good thing Lobby 11 didn't have windows. Who'd have believed their eyes if they did see it? I was finding it hard to digest. I ran my hand over the baby's leg. It felt the same. It looked the same. Had it been invisible? Had it somehow changed color like a camouflage that matched the wall and even the graffiti on it? I knocked for the baby to pick me up. How did you do that? I said once I was in the pilot seat and the canopy had snapped shut. Calibrating. 
Useful. Hey, voice interface, is there a camouflage command? Calibrating. Never mind. I mecked out of the alley. I'd been planning to hit the transit pad and head home, away from all these poppers, but there was a mecha brawl happening around it. There probably isn't a better place for a brawl than a back street in the industrial ring on a Sunday. Unless it was like 2am in the morning, that would probably be perfect. These paupers couldn't wait that long. The black dark strutters of Davor, Nobu, and Klaus were in the middle of it, standing with their backs to each other, fending off blows with their clouts. The mechas attacking them were from two different squads, three in dark grey and blue, and the others black with bright yellow cockpits oversprayed with crazy eyes and mouths. It wasn't a fair fight. Nobu had already lost the use of one of his arms. His right was hanging by his side, and one of the black cables was swinging free, ripped out in the attack. That's why people leave their panels on their mechas. No one's going to bust through your active alloy arm panels, but it's too easy to rip out an exposed cable. What are you doing, I said to myself as I started to mech towards them. I don't even like Davor. But the three of them surrounded and getting pounded? It wasn't that 548 nonsense, was it? Had it snuck into my brain? Whatever it was, I felt like I had to help. I mecked over there as fast as I could, whispering Baby into a trot. No one saw me coming. Group comms kicked in. It was screams, shouts, and the densest language. I came up behind one of the black and yellows. These are eight-meter sturdy mechs. I had to reach up to grab the scabbard on its back. Once I had it, I pulled it hard. It stumbled backward. In the chaos of the comms, I heard a what the? Now everyone knew I was there. The attacking mechas turned on me. The closest ones started to hammer me with their clouts. I put my arms to block the blows, but it was only a matter of time before someone popped my elbow or wrist or finger. How was I going to get that fixed? Who carried spare parts for the baby? Beat him down, someone yelled. The mechas battering me all drew their clout backs over their shoulders, preparing to hit me with all the power their mechas had. I lunged towards one of the yellow-headed mechas, keeping my left arm up to block. I reached out and pushed him backwards, taking some of the black body paint off the belly of his mecha in the process. He staggered back, setting off the anti-collision systems in the mecha next to him. They both twisted and swiveled, setting off adjustments and shuffles in the other mechas. Is Sio punched me! It's Sio punched my mecha, said a voice. It's security! It's Glurk security! Someone started shouting. I let them believe it. Glurk security, as well as the service mechas, can turn off their anti-collision systems. Sometimes they need to. If you want to move a mecha, like attach some lift cables hanging from a drone, as long as there's power on, the anti-collision system won't let you. Even if the cockpit's off. They could have shouted, Accident response! But if you're in the middle of a brawl on a public street, you're already keeping an eye out for security. The attacking poppers stomped off as fast as they could. Clark sucks! One of them yelled just before they left group comm range. Now, you'd think Davor and friends would be happy I saved them from a cockpit popping. Who asked you to interfere, big nose? said Davor. You were outnumbered, I was just helping, I said. Davor returned his clout to its scabbard. We didn't need help. We were managing it. 
Nobu lost an arm, I said, pointing with my mecha finger at it. He can fight fine with one. And you hit one of them with your hand. It wasn't a hit, it was a push. Doesn't matter. It's against the code. Paupers only use clouts. That's because you can't touch each other. You don't get it, so keep your nose out of it. I don't want your help. We don't want your help. Let's get out of here, guys. My place. Davor stepped over to the transit pad and launched into the sky. Klaus followed him. Nobu stepped onto the pad. Before he launched, he turned to face me. The ruined arm and its loose cable was set swaying by the move. His good mecha hand was up against his chest in a fist. He raised its thumb and gave me a silent nod. Then his jets powered up and he was following the other two along the transit lanes to Davor's house. Let's go home, baby, I said, and mecked onto the pad. Draft that request. Destination, please. I sighed. Maybe the voice interface wasn't that smart. Home, I said, and we jetted up into the transit lane. Hey, James here. I'm the guy writing and reading Futures Mecca for you. I want to thank you for listening. I am amazingly lucky to have an audience to listen to this story. And without you, out there, listening to every episode, Praxit's story would never have been told. So, thank you, really. Now, Praxit's story is only just beginning. He's only had the baby for two and a half weeks. Those two and a half weeks have taken us 73,000 words over 17 episodes, adding up to seven hours of listening. Now, that's a lot, but it's only a fraction of the adventure and action I've got planned. I'd like to ask you for a big favor. It's a simple favor, though. Share future is Mecca. Share it with your friends. Tell them about it. Tell everyone about it. And if you can, rate it on iTunes or wherever you listen. Or share it on social media. Thank you in advance for sharing it. And thank you again for listening. Later, Neefs.